Okay, Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 39. We've been speaking about Emunah specifically, and not only Emunah in the sense of belief, but Emunah in the sense of understanding what's going on in our lives, our challenges, and much more. As we've mentioned in earlier classes, every generation has its unique identity. When we study the exile of the Jewish people for the last 2,000 years, so we realize that this beautiful golden chain of our people, each generation had different hurdles to overcome. For some generations, they had the difficult mission of risking their lives to keep the Torah. Many generations were scared to look Jewish and had to hide their identity and practice secretly. Inquisitions, ex expulsions, pogroms, holocausts, and much more. Recently, for our own people, for the last hundred years or so, we've been on the run. We may not feel that way right at this moment, but each and every one of us, if we had to report what took place in the last hundred years, we would probably see people running all over the place, different countries, different cities, different hardships, different risks that were taken. Then we moved into different cities, cities that had no trace of Judaism or Jews from the time the world was created. And we had to not rebuild, we had to build. Building everything, building synagogues, building schools, building mikvaot, institutions, starting with nothing. Imagine a group of people that moved into a country and there's nothing there. There's no kashrut, there's no... Everything that today we can say, Baruch Hashem, that we enjoy. We generally occupy buildings that we didn't build. And we attend schools that we didn't open. And we get involved in organizations we never started. More or less, what's here for us was built by a generation before us. But we must appreciate that a hundred years ago, things looked very different everywhere we turned. So it's been a hundred years of building or rebuilding. Those were the challenges. But every generation 
must be aware of their own challenges. As we've mentioned before, if a person today would focus on rebuilding or resettling their families, you're in the wrong generation. That's not what we're doing now. That's not our calling. Although everything we could learn from earlier generations, each one has its own identity. And you always have to figure out what is your identity? What is it that we are struggling with? Because we may be struggling with things and may not even be aware of it. So again, when I speak about these things, I don't speak as a prophet. I wasn't told by the creator of the world what the identity of this generation is. I speak only out of possible guesswork based on facts and things that I think people would say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Can I tell you this is it? I, I cannot tell you. For sure, our generation, even I don't consider myself that old. The last, I would say, 10, 15 years or so, there's a clear difference in this generation than the one even I grew up in. Certainly, if you compare it to 60, 70 years ago. We're looking at a generation, especially of young people, but not limited to young people. A generation who's struggling with names like anxiety, words like brokenness, confusion, sadness, fear, depression, despair, hopelessness, Of course, all of this, besides the pain, I'm sure somebody here, or everyone here, has either experienced themselves or some close relationship that they have with a teenager, a young man, a young lady. Of course, all of this leads to recklessness to addictions, to self-harm or even suicide. Perhaps this is the single greatest challenge of our generation. If you look really well, and I spoke about this on Sunday, and you can't imagine how many messages I got, not necessarily for the televisions that were broken. We'll get to that later. But you can't imagine how many messages I got from young people who just say, thank you, I'm not alone. You could actually see, if you have good eyes, you could look well. Don't stare at them, but look well at young people. I'm not saying everybody, God forbid. But there's a lot, a lot more than you can imagine. You could look at their eyes and you could see. 
You could see confusion, you can see fear, and much more. And it has nothing to do with what they've been given in life. It has nothing to do with how much money they have. Nothing to do with how smart they are. And even nothing to do with how good of families they come from. That's an identity of our generation. A generation dealing with a lot of emotional illness. We also find, and this could be a runner-up, or maybe this is the first one, I don't know. That today we live in a generation where everywhere we look around us, the truth is under attack. As simple as that sounds. The most obvious truths and facts are being questioned and challenged. What was once holy or sacred is easily put down. Traditional values are discriminated against. The truth is often viewed as hate speech. Simple things like what the Torah describes Zachar un keva bara otam that Hashem created a world of two genders. There was Zachar, there was male and female. Something that probably your grandfather when he read it in the Torah would say, what's the Hidush? Sheet, that's obvious. What does that mean? Of course. You have to open your eyes. You need the Torah to tell me that. Isn't it obvious? Things like family. What is a family? What does it mean to have a family? Who is a family? What makes up a family? Family values. What's considered straight or crooked? Is there anything called crooked? Or is there anything straight? Things like good and bad. Is there anything that's not good? Is everything good? Emet, what is true, what is sheker. All of these and much more are up for discussion. We live in a culture where there are, I don't know, tens and tens of genders. Where men are able to compete in women's events. Where children as young as six years old are given a reassignment of who they are. This is real, this is not a, something that we read about in science fiction. It's a generation where a 60-year-old man with seven children could decide to be a six-year-old girl and is now adopted by parents who take care of him because he chose to be that. He's now that. And if you would say you're a man, you would be considered a discriminating person who hates other people. 
I don't want to bore you with many things that you already know. But it's clearly a generation that has an open attack on what we would call emet, truth. Truth means there's something that is true and something that is false. And it's not up for discussion. This generation doesn't agree with that. That's not the atmosphere in this generation. So there you go, top two. Emotional illness and attack on truth. And I wondered if there was any connection between the two. Are they just random things that show up in our register when we think about our generation? Or maybe they are connected. To appreciate that, we have to look into our Torah like everything else, the source of all truth. And the Torah is a beautiful, beautiful Midrash. The Midrash is much deeper than it sounds. You would almost read it like a nice fairy tale. But it's giving a very powerful message that is true in all generations, but perhaps talks to us very loud. Out of all places, this Midrash shows up by Tevat Noah. By the Ark of Noah, the Pasuk says, Shenaim, Shenaim ba'u el Noah. When Noah was saving everything in the world to start the new world, so it says they came too as pairs. All the animals came together as pairs. So the Midrash says that falsehood, Sheker, came and wanted to also get on the ark. Noah says to Sheker, you can't come, you can't get here, you can't come in. It says, I have to bring Shnaim, you need a pair. So if you don't bring a partner, you're not coming on. So the Midrash says that Sheker went to look for a partner. And Sheker found destruction. Destruction says to Sheker, where are you coming from? She says, well, I just went to Noah, he won't let me on. He says, I need a partner. She says, I'll make you a deal. Why don't you be my partner? We'll go together. Whatever I make from Sheker, I will share it with you. Good idea. They made a deal. And they came together on the boat. The Midrash reports that after some time, Sheker went to the destructions. Okay, what do we got left? What can we split? We've been making a lot of headway the last few thousand years. What, what, what's there for us? What could we share? Destruction says, sorry, there's, there's nothing left. You forgot who you're dealing with? Everything's gone. It's a cute story that maybe you would tell it to your children. And it's worthwhile to tell it to your children, but it's much deeper than the children's story. This story is very powerful. This story is giving you and I very simple, simple guidelines and a message for life. 
where there is falsehood, where there is sheker, there is destruction. If you find destruction of mankind, you're going to have to look for the sheker that brought it. In any area in life, we will go through it today. If you find destruction, there is some falsehood that's causing it. Destruction by itself doesn't work. And falsehood doesn't end with sheker. There's a follow-up, there's a group. Shenaim, Shenaim Ba'u El Noah. They come together. They're a team. You know, this world is called Ulama Sheker. Alma de Shikra, Hazal say. What does it mean that the world is Ulam Hashekir? I'm sure you've heard that before. It's the false world. In what sense is this world the false world? If, is it, if it's because people lie, so they also steal, and they also embarrass, and they also damage others. So why did the name Sheker get the name more than any other one? That can't be the reason. If it's Sheker because it's only temporary, it's not lasting forever, there's a better word for that in Hebrew. It's called Zmani. Zmani means temporary. Arai. Not Sheker. So what then does it mean when Hazal tell us this world that you're living in, know the world you're living in. Anytime you go to a city or a country, you have to know the customs of that city. Be aware. What is it about this world that calls it Olam HaSheker? In what way is it Sheker? And the answer is what our rabbis teach us. Tashet Hoshech Vihilayla. That this world is compared to Hoshech, to darkness. What does darkness have to do with Sheker? What does darkness have to do with falsehood? The Mesilat Yesharim says that darkness can cause a person that's walking in it two mistakes. Let's go to the first one. First mistake is that you can walk in darkness and have no idea when the next step you're going to trip, when the next table you're going to bump on, when the next time you might hit your head. You have no idea, you're in darkness. You walk and you have no idea what's coming your way. That's what it means, says the Mesilad Yesharim, that this world could be a place of darkness where you may open your eyes and see light, but you're going in life in a dark place. You have no idea what's coming your way. And it's very scary to walk in darkness. In fact, let me share you, with you one of the most beautiful statements that you will ever hear from the rabbis that Hashem blessed us with. They told us like this, En simha ke hatarat hasfekot. There isn't 
happiness like a person who no longer has doubt. What they're telling us, very simple, is that when you have doubt, you become unhappy. When you have doubt, you become afraid. When you have doubt, you have anxiety. When you have doubt, you become weak. Doubt is the source of unhappiness. So therefore, when you get rid of doubt, and things are clear, when you know what's coming, then all of a sudden, you feel simha. And simha ke hatarat hasefekot. When you get rid of your doubts, you develop a simha. That is why Amalek, who is the enemy, Amalek is the enemy of Hashem in this world. He's the enemy of every single one of us. Who is Amalek? Why is he so bad? What does he stand for that makes him a complete enemy of the Creator? The answer is, what our rabbis tell us, that Amalek, if you look at the numerical value of the word Amalek, you could add it up and it's the same value as Safek. Amalek is a nation that is about Safek, to put doubt into the truth that may be obvious. When the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, they were riding high. Hashem has been lifting them on His wings. He's taking care of them in every way. They received the Torah. What does Amalek do when he sees all of that? Asher karecha baderech. Karecha, the word karecha means mikre. Mikre means that wasn't real. That wasn't emet. That was just a mikre. It was a coincidence. Things happen like that. Big deal. The Yamsuf split. It was a windy night. There's nothing special about you people. There was nothing real in the last year in your lives. Asher His goal was to cool us down from what? Cool us down from seeing a world of clarity. To put safek, to put a doubt in our minds. That maybe things aren't as the way they look. Maybe we're not so special. Maybe God doesn't really care that much about us. Maybe the world doesn't have that much purpose. You got the Torah, you got a goal in your life, maybe it's not that important. And he is willing to go fight and, and a suicidal mission just to cool us down. Safek, when you don't see what's ahead of you, you become afraid, you become depressed, you become anxious, and much more. That is why you will find people who are awaiting an answer for something that's important to them. There's so much pain in waiting for the answer. Sometimes it gets to a point where they say, I'd rather know 
And I'd rather know the bad news. I can deal with it. I just can't deal being in suspense. Is it a good report or a bad report? A bad report, I have to figure it out. But having to wait on something that's so important to you makes you more nervous and more upset than getting a bad answer. If you get a bad answer, it's not pleasant, but you put your energies together and you start working out the next plan. What do I have? I know I have to do this now. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't excited about doing it, but it is what it is. Now I got to do it. That doesn't make me weak. When I get bad news, it doesn't make me weak. In fact, very often bad news can make you stronger. But when you're in safek, when you don't even know what to expect, it makes you so weak as a human being in every way. Not only is the future a source of doubt that can weaken us, but very often the past, people will say something like, if I was only born to this family, then my life would have been so much better. If I only were a little taller, I would have been so much better off. If I was only a little smarter, I could have been so much more successful. If I was only a little better looking, if I had straight hair, then I could have made it. If I had curly hair, that would have been it. If I was born in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, it could have been really something. This generation is very difficult. If I was born in Yerushalayim, Yerah Kodesh, if I had normal teachers, if we had normal rabbis, those are doubts about the past, of the time and place and the type of person that you are. How many people are living in those past doubts if it just would have been? You know what I could have been today? Doubts. As if you were an accident. As if everything about us is accidental. As if the one who brought us down here had no clue what he was doing. There are doubts about the present, right as things are happening. Why did this just happen? Wouldn't it have been much better off if something else happened? Why is this happening to me? Why am I in this generation? Why couldn't I have lived a hundred years ago in Halab? I would have had more menuhata nefesh. I would have had peace of mind. Maybe I would be missing certain luxuries, but I'd have peace of mind. It's not what happened in your past that's bothering you. It's not what's going on in the present that's bothering you. And it's not the future that's bothering you. It's your safik. Because you're living in doubt. You're not clear. When you're not clear, it brings you down. You're living in a world of hoshech, of darkness. When you're living in darkness, so you don't know what's going to be. Everything to you is in doubt. There's falsehood, there's sheker. You start 
imagining things, you start having illusions as if if you would have been that, then you would have been the right person. And all types of things that are just sheker. It's not emet. The emet is that you are exactly who you're supposed to be and you were placed exactly where you're supposed to be placed with the right height, with the right width, with the right parents, with the right everything. That's called emet. When you have safek in emet, now you're living sheker. When you're living sheker, you're going to destroy your brain. Sheker and falsehood with destruction. They come together. When your mind is not emet, for multiple reasons, I described a few, but there's more. When your mind is not emet, your mind is in destruction mode. He has a partner, sheker. He doesn't travel by himself, never. Maybe before Noah's Ark. But after Noah's Ark, he never traveled by himself. So therefore, there should not be any surprise. There's a great connection between the two identities that we are living with in our world today. It's a world of Sheker. And it's a world of people attacking the truth. Those things come together. It's a generation that's seeking help for things that your grandfather would have left at. A 16-year-old young man is still trying to piece himself together where in his generation, your grandpa was going to work at 12. If today were the new policies of Judaism, perhaps they would make bar mitzvahs at the age of 26. I say that in a joking way. But that's what it would seem like. Maturity at 13? Are you kidding? At 13? At 12 for a young lady? That seems to be so far from what we see as reality. It's a generation of confusion. And when you're in darkness and confused, you become afraid. There's a second mistake when you're in darkness. The first one is complete confusion because you have no idea where you're going. Could you imagine growing up in today's world as a young child? It's so confusing. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why things were happening the way they happened. You have no idea what to expect. You're seeing all around you. It's a confusing world. That's number one. Number two darkness is a different kind of darkness. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, it's the type of darkness where you actually think that you see. I mean, the first guy knows he's confused. I don't know where I'm going. I have no idea what's going to be. The second person actually looks and says, Oh, I see. I'm going somewhere. In the words of the Mesilat Yesharim, he says, A person could see an Amud. He sees a pole. And then all of a sudden he realizes it's not a pole. It's a person. Or vice versa. So darkness doesn't just make you confused. It actually can make you confident 
in seeing something which is completely not there. You're seeing A, and then it's B. So you might say, big deal, so it's not a pole, so it's a human, who cares? There's a lot of who cares. Let me give you a few examples of who cares in this respect. That's very relevant to all of us. By the way, the words of Hazal describe this in such a beautiful way. They tell us, look at the way Hashem made the world. Hashem made the world in a very interesting way. You would never think to make it this way. The way we live the, our world is we have daytime. In daytime we work, we run, we do. By the time night comes, we're exhausted. So we need to sleep. Because we can't do it anymore. Then we wake up again. In that way of understanding the world, which is all of us, Hashem should have made the world first daytime and then nighttime. First, people are working, and then they have to go to sleep. Sleep is just a, a, a result of the day. But when Hashem made the world, He made vayhi erev, vayhi boker. What a way, what a weird way to create the world. What, why would Hashem make the night first? Doesn't make any sense. Hazal say, there's a reason, there's a very big message behind that. The message is in this world, if you don't open your eyes really good, the first thing you're going to see is darkness. Darkness is the default. You, know, you have a default setting on your computer or on your item. It's a default setting. When you turn the item on, that's where it goes. If you want to change it, you're going to have to fix the dial. The default setting of this world, you open your eyes, if you don't look too well, all you see is darkness. If you want to see light, you have to open up a little bit. You got to start going to classes. You got to read, you got to think. You got to be a little more involved. Because otherwise, the first thing you're going to see is darkness. In fact, the Gemara says that they were interesting. Two children, think of the difference. Look at these two children. Shnei Yeladim, two children in the Bet Midrash. And they were <clears throat> showing how they could explain the Aleph Bet on a deeper level. So they weren't learning Aleph Bet, they wanted to explain the Aleph Bet. We don't even know what that means. Anyway, these children were Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. One of the questions they asked on the Aleph Bet is, how come we find that the word Emet, truth, starts with Aleph, ends with Tav, and in the middle, there's a Mem, three letters, Aleph, Mem, Tav. Now, if you study the Aleph bit, you will realize that Aleph is the far right, Tav is the far left, and Mem is the exact middle. What an interesting word. Why is Emet written with such letters? And Sheker, which also has three letters, is Shin, Kuf, Resh. Those three letters actually are next to each other. 
How come the three letters of Sheker are letters that are right next to each other in the alphabet? And when it comes to Emet, they're as far distributed as possible. So comes these two beautiful children, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua, and they say, ah, we got it. Imagine what a 95-year-old today may not know. These two little kids are already explaining. They say, because Sheker mekaravin mile, which means to see Sheker, it's right in front of you. You don't have to go far to see Sheker. You open your eyes, you put three letters together, Sheker's there. You don't have to do a lot of research. You don't have to look into the matter. It's the first thing you're gonna see when you open your eyes. Anything you see in this world, if you don't look too good into it, Sheker. You can bet on it. But what do you mean? I thought, no, no. You thought, but Sheker. You thought you're seeing Emet, you're seeing Sheker. Emet needs to be sat on. You gotta analyze it. You gotta go to the first letter. You gotta go to the last letter. You gotta, you gotta gather your information. You gotta think. You gotta take your time. You gotta contemplate. And then you'll see Emet. And again, if you say, but I don't care about Emet, so I'll be Sheker. Maybe before this class, you would have been happy saying, I'm Sheker. Yeah, I'm Sheker. You're Sheker. Destruction is the Havruta of Sheker. They walk together. Don't feel so good about being Sheker. You have to know Emet and everything. Let me give you a few examples of how we could live a world of Sheker without even realizing it. And then we have to pay the price. The Mesilat Yasharim in the first chapter talks about what he calls Shelemut Amiti. You should try to memorize these words. Shelemut Amiti. The word Shelemut means to be whole, complete. Amiti means really whole, really complete. Actually, that whole page he's discussing that the purpose of creation is that me and you and every creation that he made should live a world of ta'anug. ta'anug? Ta'anug means pleasure. We are created in this world to have pleasure. As ridiculous as that might sound to some people, because they're very far away from a life of pleasure. But that's the purpose of creation. Ta'anug amiti. Real, not real. True pleasure. And he says, how do you get true pleasure? How do you get true pleasure? He says, you have to have shelemut amiti. You have to be truly complete. The more complete you are, the more ta'anug you're going to have. Now let me give you an example how shelemut brings ta'anug. For example, a person gets married the day of their wedding, the night of their wedding. They're so happy. Why they're so happy? Because they are now more complete. They're more shalem. They were missing something. Now they found it. What happens when you become more shalem? You are ta'anug. If lo'alenu, a person loses someone who's close to them, what happens? They feel very sad. They don't want to feel very sad. 
They didn't go to a class to learn how to feel sad. They automatically feel sad. Why are they feeling sad? Because they are now haser. They're missing something. When you're missing something in life, you feel automatically the opposite of pleasure. When you feel complete, you feel pleasure. A person makes money, feels shalem, he feels complete. Ah, feels so good. You lose money, you feel haser, you feel terrible. People are giving you kavod, they're giving you honor. Oh, you feel complete, you're so happy. People ignored you, they didn't invite you, they're not talking to you. Ah, you feel sad, you feel down. So when you are shalem, you have ta'anug. When you are haser, you have the opposite of ta'anug. I can give you more examples, but I think you get the point. Good. Now, what's interesting about this Mesilat Yesharim is that he says there's something called shelemut amiti. You ever hear such a thing? Shelemut amiti. Meaning, a completeness that is true. You know what that means? That there is a shlemut that is not amiti. That means there is a shlemut that is sheker. What is, what is that? What's a shlemut sheker? One more time. You getting the, you follow me with the formula? Don't fall asleep. Shlemut equals ta'anug. That's a fact. There is something called shlemut amiti. So if you find it, this is real shlemut. You have shlemut, you're going to get ta'anug amiti. Real ta'anug, long-lasting ta'anug, beautiful. But now we're telling us that there is shlemut sheker. Shlemut sheker means it's something in your life that you're going to look at it because you're in a world of darkness and you're going to look at it and say, oh, there's Shelemut, right there. I see it. I'm going to go right for it. I'm going to spend my whole life trying to get it. Shelemut. Says the Mesla Yesharim, be careful. There is a Shelemut that's Sheker. So you might think you're getting Shelemut or getting closer to it, and then you get it, but you're going to be very disappointed because the Shelemut that you got was just an illusion. It wasn't real. Could you imagine that? So we have to know what is Shelemut Amiti and what is Shelemut Sheker. You have to know this. I'm sorry I'm going into detail to explain step by step, but you have to know how the, how the cycle works because everything affects us. So first of all, you should know that every healthy human being, and there are some people not healthy, they need help. Just like any physical person who's not healthy physically needs help. There are people who are not mentally healthy. I'm not talking about those people. But most people have an automatic desire, a ratzon for shalemut. You don't have to teach people to want money. You don't have to teach them to want kabod to want recognition, to want friendships, to want to be married, to want to have... You don't have to teach that. There is an 
automatic ratzon that is born with every human. The ratzon means a desire, a strong desire at that, to become more shalem. It's automatic. And this shlemut will bring them to ta'anuk. Now you should know as a side point, I want to give you a side point, nothing to do with this class. You know, Hazal tell us something interesting. That bederech she'adam rotzeh lalechet molichin oto. Very interesting concept. That ratzon, what you want in life is so powerful. That what you want, if you really want something, you're going to get it. And they say that if you got something, it's because you really wanted it. Your ratzon is a very powerful tool. Everything begins with your ratzon. What do you really want? But then Hachamin tell us like this. In the way that a person wants to go, he has ratzon. They actually help him get there. Not they let him go, like free choice, we'll let you go. No, no. They actually hold your hand and they open the doors for you. Sounds nice. But this applies, Hachamim say, even if your ratzon is for bad things. Imagine that. One second. So wait. Ratzon is important. Whatever I want, I'm going to get. Great. They're not going to bother me. They give me free choice. That's part of the world. Free choice. Great. No problem with that. But now you tell me they're going to help me. So when I have good ratzon and they help me, I really appreciate that. That's very nice. But wait, I have a ratzon for something bad. Why would my loving father in Shammai help me and take me to something bad? I wouldn't do that for my children. Am I not supposed to follow and emulate the creator of the world? Is he less of a father than I am to my children? If my son or daughter would ask me for something and I know it's bad for them. And I know it's dangerous for them. Would I ever molichin oto? Maybe I would close my eyes. Maybe I, would I ever actually walk them to it? I would never do that. But God does that. So God cares less about me than I care about my own children. How could that be? We're supposed to emulate Hashem. How could it be that God himself will walk you there? He'll open the door for you. Why is he doing that? Doesn't he care about me? So I'll tell you a very important thought that I shared with some great people and they gave me a stamp. You know, having ratzon, having a desire for great things, there's nothing more powerful than that. Having ratzon for bad things is a terrible thing. But there's something even worse than having ratzon for bad things. Believe it or not. Something worse. And that is having no ratzon at all. A person who has no ratzon is a dead human being. They might be walking and eating and drinking, but they're dead. It's that person that you talk to, so uh, what do you want to do? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you want to do? Uh, I don't know. You want to go here? Okay, yeah, no, I don't know. You liked it? I don't know. You know that I don't know person? 
dead, they're dead people. Tell me I want to rob a bank. I really want to rob a bank, it's nice. You know why? Because Ratzon is so powerful. Take a person with Ratzon, maybe bad Ratzon, but he's healthy at least. Then you could try to walk him and maybe you'll turn him at some point. You'll try to change his Ratzon. But a person with no Ratzon is in a coma. There's nothing you can do for him. Wake him up, shake him down. He can't do anything. Tell me, I want something. Say, what? You can't even argue with him. There's no, there's no starting point. That's why Hashem says, if I see a person that has a real Ratzon, like he really, really wants something, I'm afraid to break his Ratzon. I'm afraid to destroy his Ratzon. I'll walk him along a little bit. Hold his hand. Maybe in the process, I'll be able to change him. But to break his ratzon, that's a very dangerous thing that Hashem will not want to do. So every healthy person has ratzonot. Either unless they're, God forbid, sick, or someone destroyed their ratzon at some point in their life. Unfortunately, sometimes parents can do that. They can destroy their children's ratzon. Because they care so much. But sometimes they don't realize that Ratzon is something very, very sensitive. You have to be very careful how to deal with it. You need advice. Anyway, aside from those two people, healthy people have a Ratzon. What do they want? Shlemut. They want to be more complete. With Shlemut comes Tanuk. Simple formula. What is Shlemut Sheker? You ready for this? Here's, here's one. Shalemut Sheker is I become complete when I get married. That is called Sheker. Sheker. Being married doesn't make you Shalem. Just not true. The first night of your marriage, maybe the Sheva Brachot, maybe if you're lucky a month, you might feel shalem because you're still feeling the expansion from being single to being married. But as soon as that wears off, you realize there's nothing that great about this. So you got all excited, you got married and you're celebrating and you're celebrating your shlemut. Finally, I'm complete till death do us part. The the whole thing. You, you, that's it. Your life is over. I mean, in a good way. You're watching too many movies. Married. Happy forever, whatever they write. And then the car drives off. They don't show you there's a cliff on the other side. That's a literal... Translation of marriage. Tr marriage is shelemut. That's what you think when you're single. You think being married is the end all. That's it. 
Shlemut of being married is fake. It's not real. But there is a shlemut in marriage. You see, very often we look at what Hashem does to us as shlemut. Where in reality, it's only a stepping stone for shlemut. Marriage is not shlemut. Marriage is an opportunity for shlemut. Because shlemut, that's amiti, is something that comes from within yourself. It has nothing to do with what Hashem does for you or anyone does for you. What Hashem does for you could set the stage of shlemut. But the people who don't know that, they take what Hashem gives them as the shlemut. And then they're riding into the sunset. But they get very surprised very quickly because it's sheker. And when you live your marriage thinking that your marriage is the shlemut, destruction is coming very quickly. Maybe not complete destruction, but certainly not the ta'anug amiti you were searching for. This is something every married person can tell you. So what is the shlemut of being married? You have to go to the manufacturer. There's no other way. When you look in the Torah, Hashem says there's something called marriage. Not shlemut, but you can make shlemut out of marriage. Shlemut that you could never have before. The Pasuk says, Lotov. It's not good for a person to be alone. Now most people who would read that pasuk would say, oh yeah, it's lonely. It's lonely. Because it's lonely, so it's not good. That's not the explanation of the pasuk. Loneliness is a creation of God. You think trees feel lonely? You think ants feel lonely? Loneliness is something God made. That feeling of loneliness. That's not what the pasuk means. It's not good because you're going to be lonely. So make us not lonely. Fix it up. It's not good. Means you cannot become tov. You cannot become the best you in normal circumstances. In the normal circumstances, you can get very high, but top, 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 for most people, they need to get married to hit the toll. Some people don't have to. Could be some people they don't have to. But for most people, to get to the top, they gotta get married. Hashem says, I said, Lo I'm gonna make him a helper. It's gonna be opposite him. What does that mean? I'll give you, I'm gonna give you a few examples of how marriage can make a person go from lotov to tov. Here you have a single person. Let's take a good single person. Like an upright person. So tell me, how are you? Would you say you're a good person? I, I think I'm very good. Uh, would you consider yourself kind? I think so. Very kind. I always help people. Uh, are you patient? Uh, yeah, very patient. I don't, 
and I don't get angry. I'm a very patient person, I'm very kind, very respectful. Okay, wow. Sounds like Tom, the guy's perfect. Unbelievable. Okay, Hashem says, okay, ready, set, go. Let's bring a Havruta for you. Okay? But not a Havruta that is anything like you. We're going to bring a person that's completely different than you. And we're going to put you in the same house together. And then you're going to lock the door. Okay? And, I mean, there's no Yehud on this one. You're good. You're going to sit locked room in a locked door. And you're going to be with this crazy person on the other side. She'll think you're crazy, you'll think she's crazy, fine, perfect. And now, you're out of public eye. Oh, you see in the public, you know what we do? Look at me right now. I'm on stage. I'm smiling. I'm so sweet. I look like the best guy in the world. You have any idea what I do with my own house? You have no idea. I could be this monster that you never would have imagined. You, have, you don't know. Look at me, I'm on stage, I talk nice, very calm. I make things sound so beautiful and rosy and sweet. You have no idea what I'm doing in my own house. I'm not alone. You're all the same way, look at you. You're all sitting here, calmly, patiently, smiling, very nice. We love, wow. Everyone, every, everyone that walks in and says, wow, Eshet, Hayelim, unbelievable. <laughs> That's right. Outside, when we're around people, by nature, we are on stage. We're good actors. We're kind when we think it's good for us. We're patient. We're patient. We're respectful. And then, Hashem says, let me see. Let me see if this is real. Let me see if this is the real you or this is the fake you. Let's close the curtains. No more stage. Nobody's looking. I'm going to put you, put you with somebody you'll be very comfortable with because you're very close, so... You're not worried so much about what they're going to say outside. You'll be behind your privacy. And now, may the real you come forth. You ready? You know what happens to most people? They realize, oh wow, I'm not as kind as I thought I was. People say, no, really, I never get angry, only in the house. What? You know what that means? That's, that's who you are. Who you are in the house is you. Outside, that's fake. So Hashem lets you practice for a few years to be fake. You gotta start practicing to at least be fake. But at some point you graduate. And you say, you know what? Okay, now you go to the big leagues. Let me see how you are behind closed doors. Let me see your kindness. Let me see your sensitivity. Let me see you pick up people in your home. Let me see your kavod. Let me see all the great things that you look at yourself. Hey, this is who I am. This is my resume. Let me see that over there. 
You cannot become told by yourself. You cannot. Because you'll fool yourself. Because you'll think you're A and you're not A. Because you're living a lie. Hashem says, I'm going to give you an opportunity for shlemut. Shlemut amiti. I'm going to get you a helper to expose your attributes. Someone to help you by going against you. And that's going to be your opportunity to become shalem. And when you take advantage of your marriage, you will have ta'anug amiti. But if you think that marriage itself is the shlemut, you are in for a rude awakening. Because that will soon expire. And you're left with no shlemut. Shlemut amiti is what you make, not what God does for you. I'll give you another example. I saw you like the first one. I'll give you another one. Person makes money. Oh, that's Shlemut. I made a lot of money. Look how much money I have. Great. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. You feel Shalem. But it's fake. It's fake. Money isn't bad. But money is an opportunity for Shlemut. Let me give you a few examples. Some that you probably thought about. And some maybe you didn't think about. How is money an opportunity for shlemut? Well, the simple one that probably everyone will say, you could use your money for a lot of good things. You can give a lot of charity, you can open your home, you could help people, you could give your children, you could take care of your family, you could do beautiful, agreed. You make money, you have an opportunity for shlemut. You don't do that with your money, you keep your money stashed away, that's sheker, destruction. The money will destroy you. Sheker, destruction, they go together. But let me give you another example of how money can make you more complete. Have you ever heard of someone say, oh my goodness, I knew that person before they had money. They were so humble, they were so kind. But since they made money, they became this arrogant person. You've heard that before? Right? You know how big of a lie that is? You think money makes people arrogant? That is so fake. You know what really is happening? The guy's been arrogant his whole life. But he has nothing to be arrogant about. What should he do? He doesn't have anything. So he looks at himself as a very humble person. People ask him, sir, are you humble? Very, very humble. I don't, I don't like getting involved in things. I, I take the backstage. I don't show anybody off. I don't like to, very, one thing about me, I'm very humble. Maybe I'm not so good at this, but I'm not so good at that. But humble, take it to the bank. You'll never see me making noise. You'll never see me raise my Hit my face over others. I'm, I'm very humble. Hashem says, okay, ready? Ready, get set, go. Here's some money. Oh, 
all of a sudden, the real you comes out. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the new you. You've always been that way. You just didn't know. So Hashem gives you opportunity for shlemut to become really humble, the emet. Because now you look in the mirror and you say, oh no, I didn't know that about me. I always thought I was this humble guy. I guess I'm not. The same mirror you looked at when you got married, all of a sudden now you watch when you had money. Hashem reminds you what you have more to go. And now it wakes you up. And now you're able to help yourself become really shalem and really complete. And so it goes with everything that happens. Getting kavod, people giving you honor, giving you respect. Ah, we look, we feel so complete when that happens. People notice me, people are inviting me, people are standing up for me, people are, wow, I'm shalem. That's not shalem. It's what you do with it. What are you doing with that? How is it causing you, your arrogance, your, your kindness? When, when people respect you, it's an opportunity to help them. Because the, 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 the equation is very simple. Those who you respect can help you. You will be able to absorb from them. So if somebody respects you, what an unbelievable responsibility that is. You gotta help those people. Not to stand on top of the head, to serve them, to try to figure out how to help them. So getting honor isn't shlemut, it's a stage for shlemut. Shlemut amiti and shlemut sheker. Be careful. Be careful in life not to look at something and think that's the shlemut. You have to know what's the amiti. What is it that's coming from you? What Hashem gives you is never the shlemut. It's what you become. It's what you make out of it. That's what the Mesilai Sharim means when he says, sometimes in this world of darkness, you could think it's A, and it's not A. You could think something is love, and it's not love. It's something else. You misunderstood, you don't know what it is. You thought that was love, and you kept going, thinking that was love, and it's gonna come back to haunt you. Learn what real love is. Don't fall for what your eyes, when they open what they see, it's a mistake. Many, many examples I can give you. I don't think I have a time for that today. That's also destruction that comes from falsehood. When you think this is shlemut and it's not. That's called sheker. We go our whole life that way. We get married that way. We make money that way. We make friends that way. We get honored that way. And instead of those things making us and raising us, they end up destroying us. The same money that's there to help us becomes our destruction. The same marriage that's there to lift us becomes our destruction. And so many more examples. Destruction and sheker. They, they travel together. So two types of sheker. Either, again, either you're going and you're completely dark. That's very scary. Completely dark. Scary. Or you, you actually see where you're going but it's the wrong place. So you're so confident you're going somewhere, but you're going the wrong direction. You're going to the wrong things. So many things, so many things in our society are just fake. The way people meet each other is fake. When people are ready to get married, you know, someone has to speak about that. There's a time when people need to get married. 
Nobody should be embarrassed about that. It's time to get married, a boy, a girl. And when you're ready to get married, you have to go look for someone to get married. It doesn't have to be something coincidental that jumped out of the sky. Someone calls you up and says, listen, I have someone for you, whether it's a boy or a girl. Who is this girl? Who is this boy? What are they all about? What's their character? Where do they come from? That's called real. That's called looking for the right things. Then you date, you see if it's compatible and you're ready to build shlemut together. But we live in a fake world. Unfortunately, many of our own brothers and sisters live in a fake world. You're going to meet someone while you're drunk? That's how we're going to meet people? That's going to give you the building blocks of your shlemut marriage? You're going to meet people when everything that's on display is external? You think external builds marriage? You think looks build marriage? Of course external is important. But that's the focus? External dress, external behavior, external everything, that's what you're looking for to get married? What is marriage gonna look like when that's the building blocks of your marriage? That's fake. We have to help people get married because it's not easy. There's a lot of people out there. There's nothing wrong with people who are not married. They just didn't find their partner yet. But it makes it way more complicated when people are looking for the wrong things. They end up keeping themselves miserable and the other people miserable. I know a person that should have been married 15 years ago to the same girl, but they had to wait 15 years till they decide they're going to marry each other. When they both came to realize, you know what, maybe this is good. He had to suffer 15, she suffered 15. For what? Because you're, you have a, the wrong shlemut. You're looking for the wrong things. I'm not saying even if it's everything perfect, it's still challenging. But you make it way more challenging when you look for the wrong things. She's looking for something that maybe she'll look for. Is money important? Yes. Is looks important? Yes. But they don't even hold a candle to the quality of the person that you're marrying. Because money isn't going to rescue you. I promise you that. There are a lot more happy people who are poor than rich people who are suffering. Doesn't mean money is bad, but it's not a end-all thing you should be looking for. It should be one of the lists, but not the first one, and not even the second. So when you have the wrong priorities, you have a generation that's lost, looking for something, they're looking for something, but they're looking in the wrong place. They're looking the wrong way. And, they, and the fear, you could see the fear on their face and their eyes. Because deep inside, we and both they know, this is not the way. This is not it. But what can I do? The society is so sick out there. If I don't do that, then where am I going to find somebody? This is not a judgment on anybody. It's the reality. That's not the solution. The solution is people have to recode their brain. People young and old in this community have to get up and say, listen, guys, 
When you're 21, 22, it's time to get married. I'm telling you, men today, boys today, if you suggest someone to them, say, oh, you think something's wrong with me? <laughs> you don't think I can find on my own, somewhere on a secluded beach somewhere? People think they have to somehow land on their own like the, like the lottery. There's nothing wrong with people saying, I want to get married. Could you help me? Do you have somebody worthwhile that I can become shalem with? There's nothing wrong. You don't have to be religious for that. You gotta be normal. What's the other way just to look in the middle of nowhere? What are we talking about? The mindset has to change. Very often when we see a reality that's broken, you gotta change the mindset. Again, I will say again, I'm not saying any system is perfect. But certainly that system where you're just looking in darkness is not a system. Because even the one that you find in that situation, who knows where you're going? That's called looking in the wrong way, in the wrong place. You think you're going to find it, but you're wrong. It's not the way. There's something real about marriage, something real about the person that you should be marrying and looking for. I'm going to share with you one point, important halakha lemaaseh. I know you all came for today. But it's an important halakha lemaaseh. Take it to heart. It'll save your life. More importantly, your children. And if not that, your grandchildren. The Pasuk says, Behoshech al That when the world, before Hashem created the world, there was darkness. So the Midrash trying to express darkness not in the conventional way of being dark. It says, give me an example of darkness. So the Midrash says something interesting. It says, here's an example of darkness. Darkness is what the Greeks decreed on the Jewish nation when they said, every Jew needs to write on his shore, on his ox. That was, a, that was the car of the days. Write on your car, right there on the front windshield, I do not believe in God. Just write it big, in big letters. Everyone had to write that. That's how you pass an inspection in those days. You have to put, I don't believe in God. Every Jew has to do that. Says the Midrash, that was darkness. Look at the darkness of the Greeks. Okay, it's not a nice thing to tell us to do. We agree. But if you look in history and you would study what the Greeks did to our people in that same time, they did a lot worse. The Rambam writes in Egeret Teman in his letter, he says, the Greek Empire, they made decrees on Hilul Shabbat. Imagine they didn't let us keep Shabbat. They made you work on Shabbat. They did not allow Brit Milaz. Imagine 
How come when Hachamim came to describe darkness, they didn't say that? How come they chose the one that really, from our perspective, seems to be like, okay, so right. Not having a brimi that's a big deal. Not, not keeping Shabbat, that's a big deal. Writing on your, on your front sticker, I don't believe in God, okay. I, I know I don't believe it. It's okay, I'll write it. What is it going to cost me? Hachamim say, that's the darkness, that one. Why that one? What's unique about that one? And anyway, the Greeks were smart people. What did they see in this ridiculous decree? That each one should write on the horn of their ox, I don't believe in God. There's a pasuk in Mishle that we all must memorize. Memorize and hold it close to our heart. Shlomo HaMelech says, Mikol mishmar netzor libecha. Says Shlomo HaMelech, you need to watch your mind. More than anything else that you watch. Usually we watch things that are expensive, valuables. We make sure they're put away, they're locked up in the safe. Because they're valuable. No one's going to ask you, why'd you lock up your diamond ring? It's valuable. Things that are valuable were shomer. Says Shlomo Melech, when you watch your valuables, don't forget your brain. Also put it in the safe. You got to watch your brain. Mikol mishmar netzor libecha. Watch your brain. Guard it. Because there's nothing more valuable in your world than your brain. No possession, no human part is even more valid than your brain. Watch your brain. It's an asset. You need it. Because the results of life, all of us want great results in life. Nobody wants bad results. We all want great results. That's called The results of life, good or bad, are determined by your brain. Not by anything else. Not by your money, not by your height, not by your eye color, nothing. Your brain determines the results of your life. Says David Shlomo Melech, be careful. Mikol Mishmar, when you're putting away the valuables and you're very careful, make sure you don't forget your brain. Watch it. Now the brain is not only the most valuable part of the human, but it's also the most fragile part of the human. You know, some things in life are not so expensive, but we're very careful with them. You have a, this very thin glass cup. It's worth $5, $10. It's not very expensive, but you treat it like it's, you put it, in, you put it away in its box. You're careful how you handle it. Because one wrong move, the thing is broken into 20 pieces. So you're careful with it, not because it's expensive, because it's fragile. Shlomo Melech saying, listen, your brain is not only the most prized possession because of its value, but it's also the most fragile part of your possessions. What makes the human brain so fragile? The answer is that the human brain never forgets. You know, we have to think, why is it that two people, same age, they both had brains planted in them when they were born? piece of meat, mostly water. It's a piece of meat, the brain. Why is it one brain is very healthy, very good, very clear, very happy, and one brain, not healthy, not happy, 
complain. What, what's the difference? Two pieces of meat. One came out, beautiful. Put on the barbecue, gorgeous. One put on the same barbecue, dead. Why? The answer is that the human brain, as it comes into this world, is given whatever beginning point it is. And then whatever that brain is learning and it's seeing through its lifetime, becomes the person. Our opinions became our opinions because of what we've witnessed and what we've seen in our lives. So therefore, when you lived in a home and your parents were very calm and they handled things in a calm way, so probably when you get older, that will be your initial setting because that's what you saw. If you saw people in your home acting in rage, so probably when you get older, even if you only saw it when you were younger, you'll probably react the same way, not remembering why you react that way. You could have seen your father when you were three years old react in such a terrible way to your mother when she did something, and then your wife will do the same thing, and the first thing that comes up to your brain is to do the same thing. You won't remember your father or your mother, but that's the default. The human mind never forgets, ever. Everything you've ever seen, you've ever heard, is inside your mind and my mind. Sometimes we can't access it. The handle to access it gets weak. But sometimes, you know, sometimes a person tells you, you remember me? I remember you. Um, me? No, I don't remember you. You remember sixth grade? We sat next to each other. I was next to you. Oh, of course. Now you tell me, oh, I remember you, remember what you said. Now he, start, he starts talking, he starts to remember it. Where was that information a minute before? Where did it come from? I thought, you didn't, I thought you don't remember. You do remember. You just couldn't get it. Sometimes you need help getting it. The human brain never forgets. And whatever you input in the brain, that becomes the person. Input happy thoughts in a child's life, all happy, thankful, Baruch Hashem, it's beautiful, the world is great, what a happy place this is, what a great place. When he grows up, he's a happy person. Sees rain, loves it. Sees the sun, loves it. In your house, oh, rain is horrible. It's so hot today, I hate it. It's so cold today. It's perfect today, it's, I, even, I hate perfect even. <laughs> so, the, the kid grows up, he sees it's a hot day, he's complaining. He feels bad. Of course he could change, everybody could change. But the default in that brain will become what they input in that brain. The way you talk, the way you react, whatever you put into the child becomes the child. Of course, every person can change. Every person has free choice. We don't take that away from anybody. The good could become bad. The bad can become good. That's their choice. But Hashem did give us children. And when He gave us children, he gave us a responsibility. And the most important and critical responsibility of a parent to a child is not the clothing they wear, although they're very cute in the clothes. And it's not the food that they eat, although they desperately need it. It's what you allow into their brain. Because what you allow into their brain becomes who they are. And in this world that we're living in, if you're not careful, what goes into their brain 
you are really putting your children at risk. I say it in the simplest terms. This is not a religious issue. This is a emotional, simple health issue. You have to know that the world out there, there is a fight for truth. There's a fight against truth. And today, you put your child in front of people who are educating your child. And they have a, an agenda. They want your child to be confused just like them. They don't want your child having emet because it's a fight against emet. So they will do everything they can, subtly and sometimes not so subtly. Already your child is two years old and he is literally sitting there being confused by people that he respects because his parents allowed him to sit in front of the screen. They even bought it for him. And that's a dangerous thing to do. Again, I don't know that television was ever such a great thing to have. Maybe then it was a religious thing. You know, like, if you want to be religious, so you don't watch certain things. Today, it's way beyond that. It's mental health. If your, if your teenager is all messed up, can't think straight, is confused, is down, guess what? You should look in that area. It could very well be that was a cause. I'm not saying it's the only cause, but definitely is a good place to start. Because what's gonna happen when children are confused? You got it, destruction. It's the destruction of the human brain. So you gotta be super careful. Like I mentioned on Sunday, it should be a pride of a mother and father who says, you know something? I want to raise my children. I don't want any help from Disney. The Disney that you used to think was a beautiful child, loving my child type of company. Disney is coming to destroy your children. That's what they believe in. That is their written agenda. It's not a private agenda. It's public. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to raise my children to what I want for them, that they should have shlemut amiti, real ta'anug in their life, or I'm going to allow confusion to go and educate them. That's a real choice that every parent has to make. And the rating system is worthless, means nothing. The people giving the ratings are no more reliable than the people making it. A person must take steps. It's a real thing. Parents, grandparents. Now, I'm not talking about the person himself, by the way. The same goes for us too. Don't think like, oh, you're, you're older. You can watch whatever you want. It's fine. I'm not saying that. But I know you'll get offended if I talk about you. So I'm not going to. But whatever applies to your children applies to you too. That's a side inference. If you don't like it, you can delete it. But you got to know that. That's a real war today. It's the real war of misinformation and confusion. Be careful. Make sure that you think twice before you continue your home and the way you operate. You love your children too much. 
you work too hard, you invest too much to allow an intruder who's coming to hurt your children. Maybe he's not a bad person, the guy who's trying to hurt them, but it doesn't matter. His agenda isn't what you want. It's not what's gonna make your children healthy. Like the famous story of a person who was in the, was in the forest. He can't sleep. His tigers, lions, bears. How's he gonna sleep? They're gonna eat him up. He doesn't know what to do, he's exhausted. Finally, he realizes the bears love honey. And he could get honey for them. They can't get the honey, he'll get it. He comes to a bear, he says, sir, can I ask you a question? You like honey? He says, I love honey. What would you do if I got you honey? I'll do anything you want. He says, let's make a deal. Every day I bring you a cup of honey, and you, when I sleep, you're shomer, you watch over me. Gives him a deal, gives him his paw, they shake hands. Nice. First night comes, he's going to sleep. It's very comfortable. All of a sudden, the bear is a good bear, a good guy. He made a deal, shook hands. Tells him, uh, he sees all of a sudden he's watching, making sure nobody's coming. All of a sudden he sees this fly coming, zzz, right on the guy's nose. The bear's looking at the flies. Yeah, you nuts. You don't see I'm watching my friend? He comes over to him. He says, listen to me. I'm warning you. This is your last warning. One more time I see you here, it'll be the end. So he goes over to him like that. He goes away. Okay? Goes back to his post. He's watching the bed over the, the, the guy. Guess what he does five minutes later? Kedako comes right back. Right on his nose. This guy's so mad. That's it. I'm going to give this guy a lesson he's never going to forget in his life. Takes his paw, takes him, boom. Destroys the fly. Down for the count. Baruch Dayana Emet. On the fly and the guy. They both died. He hit him so hard, he killed the fly, he killed the guy. But what's, what's the problem? He's a nice bear. He's a good guy. He's a, but he's a bear. At the end of the day, you can't forget he's a bear. I'm not here to tell people they're bad people. People aren't bad people. But confused people are also dangerous, even if they're not bad. So you have to be careful. Everybody has to be careful. It's simple. It's a simple thing. Don't, don't get caught up by all the nonsense of this, what, what. But it's real. Gotta be careful. And the second thing you have to be careful is just as critical, if not more critical, is young people with phones with smartphones. A young child with a smartphone is a weapon. They're not ready for it. It's not healthy for them. Some parents are so nice. The children, you know, it's a, it's, a cute, it's a cute thing. They have chats with them. It's not cute. You're taking and robbing them of their childhood. You're robbing them of being a healthy child. I'm not even talking about the future. Their childhood, let them play, let them fight, let them punch each other, let them argue, let them do, let them go over, let them talk. It's not fair, even though they want, of course they want, they, they, they think they're 80 years old, but it's not healthy for them. It's not a healthy thing for children to have anything to do with a smartphone. 
not on a chat, not on internet, not, it's not for them. When you get older, you have decisions to make, depending who you are. If you're learning in yeshiva, if you're learning, well, you don't need it to have a regular phone. If you need it for work, and you, okay, we understand everyone has to figure out how to live successfully, but you're older, you understand, you know what your boundaries are, you make boundaries. But why should a child have to suffer in his life because he was given a toy that was really a weapon? It's a weapon. It's not a smart thing to do. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your children. You have no idea what the results are. And you might be thinking, no, but I want to... Oh, everyone has it. Everyone is not your child. Your child is not everyone. Your child is your child. Figure out how to deal with it. It's a terrible mistake that we make to allow the education from the outside. Watch your mind. It's very precious and it's very fragile. Don't allow your children to be influenced. It's very simple. Where there is sheker, which clearly the, the virtual world is a place of sheker. There are no real friendships on the phone. There are no real things on the phone. It's a world of sheker. It's olama sheker. You know what's going to be there? Destruction. Don't be surprised if in 10 years they wake up and they're lost. Not, no shock, no surprise. It's a reality. Sheker and destruction, they travel hand in hand. That's my heartfelt recommendation. I know it's not an easy world. I know a lot of pressures. I know a lot of habits. I know a lot of things. At the end of the day, and again, I say it. I wish this, this was a religious thing. I mean, it is also a religious thing, but it's much more than that. It's just the things that you want for your children. That's all it is. I'll just finish off just one pasuk to leave off with. Says Shlomo Amelech, Tena beni libechali. Says Shlomo Amelech, give me your heart. Means have a beautiful heart. Have a beautiful heart of kindness, of emet, of all the beauty that you want. Tena beni libechali. How? Ve'aynecha derachai titzona. Watch your eyes. Watch where your eyes are. Your eyes have a big influence on your life, on your heart. Something to take really to heart. My berachah to all of you, that you should have a life full of shlemut amiti, ta'anug amiti. La'ezrat Hashem. Baruch Allah le'olam. Amen ve'amen.